Amen and amen. Thank you, guys. Ken, Melanie, I love these guys. We are blessed with such an amazing worship team. Amazing worship pastor, come on. <laughs> Thank you, Ken. It's easy to get up here and talk about worship when uh, God's presence is so thick like it is tonight. Amen? Well, hey, everybody. How's everybody doing tonight? Good. Good to see everybody. Just a show of hands, this is not unto condemnation. Who was not here last week? <laughs> okay, awesome. Awesome, awesome. Good to know. Well, last week, we uh, started a series called Lifestyle of Worship, Living a Lifestyle of Worship. If you don't know me, I'm Pastor Jared. I'm one of the worship pastors here, and uh, I'm very, very excited about this series, you guys. I said it last week. You know, it's been said that God gives you one life message, just 300 different ways to say it. You know, I'm passionate about worship. I'm passionate about living this thing out. Uh, not just because that's what I'm here to do vocationally as a worship pastor. Um, I'm passionate about it because living out a lifestyle of worship has changed my life. God has done a work in me. And so I'm very excited about tonight. I hope you guys are too. Got to open up my water. Last week I started and my mouth got so dry. My wife was laughing at me over there. <laughs> <laughs> well, do we need an icebreaker, guys? Do we need an icebreaker? Did you guys, uh, did I tell you about the gentleman that farted in church? He had to sit in his own pew. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. Okay, let's get serious here. Last week, we talked about, uh, we're, we're kind of, let me preface the whole thing by saying worship, the subject of worship, it's such a vast subject. I love how God, at the end of the day, his message is simple. Jesus summed it up, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. It's simple, right? But it, the other side of it is God's word is just completely inexhaustible. It's a lifetime of study and beyond. And so worship, uh, we could, I could be up here for the next year talking to you guys about worship. But what we've done is I've kind of narrowed it down to four areas of worship that I want to touch on. Last week we talked about why we worship. We talked about why we worship. We talked about who we worship. And in that we talked about our identity in Christ, our identity as sons and daughters. Uh, I talked about how once we come to Christ, we are sons and daughters of God. The Bible says that we are children of God. And as children of God, we can approach God differently than someone who is not one of God's children. I used the example of how I love Pastor Dwayne, but he's not one of my sons. One of my sons, my six-year-old son, he can run up to me and give me a kiss on the cheek, and it's, it's awesome. I love him. But if Pastor Dwayne ran up to me and gave me a kiss on the cheek, it'd be real weird, right? Because he's not my son. And then the other part of that, we talked about how we're priests through Jesus Christ as our great and high priest. I want you guys to look at your neighbor. One of your neighbors say, hey, you're a priest. Go ahead. You're a priest. First Peter 2.5 says that you're a priest, 5 and 6. And then so with 
Being a priest, you have a job description. If you go back to Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 8, the Old Testament describes the priestly duties. And so for those of you who weren't here last week, this is important. You guys grab hold of it. So I want to repeat it. Your first job is you are to carry the Lord's presence wherever you go. The Bible says that you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. God is going, you, you're an ambassador for Christ. You represent the kingdom of God wherever you go. That means God wants to use you to change the temperature of whatever room you go into. He wants you to be a thermostat and not a thermometer. And the second duty is to minister before the Lord. If you brought your Bibles, I hope you did. I encourage you guys, if you're taking notes, that's Deuteronomy 10.8. Minister before the Lord. And what that means is I can't possibly know the hurts, the wounds, uh, the needs in this room. I'm just, I'm just a, a man up here. But God knows every hurt, every wound, every need. And so God's waiting for that invitation. God's a gentleman. We're to minister before the Lord because God meets us as we praise him, as we worship him, he sits enthroned on the praises of his people. And God comes and does what only God can do. And the third part of that job description was you were to pronounce blessings over the people. And that word blessings there, literally translated, it means to help to call people into the destinies that God has for them. God wants to use you to help to call people into the destinies that he has for them. Those are pretty good jobs to have, amen? And so today, what we're going to do is cover two more aspects of worship, living a lifestyle of worship. How do we worship? How do we worship? And what happens in the spiritual realm when we worship? And so today, I said it last week, today we might do a little sacred cow tipping. You know, a lot of us, we have kind of our ideas of um, expressions during worship, physical expressions, what's acceptable, what's not acceptable. Tonight, we're going to the Bible. We're going to the Bible. What does the Bible say? What are some biblical expressions of praise and worship? And so we're going to go there tonight, and we're going to talk about what God does in the spiritual realm. And so first and foremost, let's talk about how we worship. The first order of business to talk about and how we worship. It's all about the attitude of your heart. It's all about the attitude of your heart. One theologian has said, worship is the activity of glorifying God in his presence with our voices and hearts. I added on to that. And with our lives, the way you live. That's why we're calling this series a lifestyle of worship. God wants all of you. Not just some of you. God doesn't want one foot in and one foot out. God wants all of you because he knows the destiny he has for you. The Bible says he sees your end from your beginning. And so I'm excited about this word tonight because I know God has a plan for each and every one of you guys. If you're in here tonight feeling discouraged, like what am I doing here? Be encouraged. God has a job for you to do. 1 John 3.18 says, dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. And so the word there says, we're to show love by the way we live, by our actions. Right? Talk is cheap. 
my wife, I can tell her I love her all day long, but if I'm not speaking her love language and doing the things that communicate that I love her, she's not going to know. She's not going to feel it. We must show the truth of what God has done in our lives through our worship in every part. So the Greek word in the New Testament, the Greek word primarily used for worship is proskuneo. Everybody say proskuneo. Proskuneo. It means to prostrate oneself, to bow down, to lay flat on the floor. That's the position of humility we're to take when we come before the Lord. That position of humility, of having a humble heart, that should be our heart's attitude, that proskuneo attitude. It's a kingdom principle. When you go before the king, you always want to make yourself lower than the king. That's saying, I submit myself to your lordship, your kingship. I'm submitting to your authority in my life. Now, I'm not saying walk hunched over all the time, (laughs) but that's our heart's attitude. Amen? You guys tracking? And so let's look at two different heart attitudes in Scripture when it comes to just coming before the Lord with humility, with a humble heart, and with a sense of just, Lord, I'm abandoning, abandoning myself in worship to you. If you brought your Bibles, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 6. I'm reading out of the New Living Translation again this week. 2 Samuel chapter 6, verse 16 through 23. I have a lot to get at you guys tonight. I'm going to do my best. Verse 16, But as the ark of the Lord entered the city of David, Michael, the daughter of Saul, looked down from her window. When she saw King David leaping and dancing before the Lord, she was filled with contempt for him. They brought the ark of the Lord and set it in its place inside the special tent David had prepared for it. And David sacrificed burnt offerings and peace offerings to the Lord. When he had finished his sacrifices, David blessed the people in the name of the Lord of heaven's armies. Then he gave to every Israelite man and woman in the crowd a loaf of bread, a cake of dates, and a cake of raisins. Then all the people returned to their homes. When David returned home to bless his own family, Michael, the daughter of Saul, came out to meet him. She said in disgust, how distinguished the king of Israel looked today, shamelessly exposing himself to the servant girls like any vulgar person might do. David retorted to Michael, I was dancing before the Lord, who chose me above your father and all his family. He appointed me as the leader of Israel, the people of the Lord, so I celebrate before the Lord. Yes, I am able, yes, I am willing to look even more foolish than this. And other translations say, look even more undignified than this. Even to be humiliated in my own eyes, but those servant girls you mentioned will indeed think I am distinguished. So Michael, the daughter of Saul, remained childless throughout her entire life. I love this portion of scripture. It's a beautiful picture of a man who just didn't care what people were thinking around him. All he was concerned about is what God was thinking. He knew he was in the very presence. So David was rejoicing because the Ark of the Covenant was returning to Jerusalem. That's where God chose to let his manifest presence reside right there in between uh, the cherubim on the mercy seat, the Ark of the Covenant right there. David was rejoicing because he was in the very presence of the living God. He was in a linen ephod, which is our modern day equivalent to underwear. Dancing in a parade, which is probably our modern-day equivalent of national television. Now, I'm not saying don't come to church and say, I'm abandoned before the Lord in your underwear. Don't do that. 
Don't do that, please. (laughs) But he was just totally abandoned in God's presence. And God said that David was a man after his own heart. I want God to say that about me. When my time this side of heaven is over, I want God to be able to say that was a man after my own heart. Amen? We need to learn a thing or two from David right here. But I also want us to learn a thing or two from his wife's response. David came home and was rebuked by his own family, his wife. So we got to get one thing sorted out. If you're going to worship, if you're going to live a lifestyle of total abandon, not everyone's going to agree with it. Not everyone is going to agree with your decision to be sold out for Christ. You might get mocked, ridiculed, made fun of, put down, maybe even by your own family. But don't quit, don't give up. You can't worry what people are going to think about you. Be concerned with what God is thinking. And so if we look at Michael, we can see a few things that will hold you back from living that lifestyle of worship and ultimately the destiny that God has for you. Dignity and self-awareness and self-preservation and pride. How many of you guys have been in a worship service and you really feel like God's stirring on your heart? Just lift your hands. Just lift your hands for me. But you've, you've fought it. You've given the Holy Spirit the stiff arm. You said, nah, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm going to look silly. I've been there. I've been there. Last week I talked about my progression where God was stirring in my heart to do that. And I took it in steps. The first step was I'm holding your baby. And the second step was the gentleman in the back. And then the field goal. Or the Mufasa. I call that one the Mufasa as well. (laughs) But those thoughts, when you're in that moment of worship, when God's presence is so thick, you can't deny he's in the room and you're thinking thoughts of, oh, what do I look like right now? What are people going to think I look like? What do I sound like? People are probably thinking I'm singing horrible. That might be true. Hey, but God loves it. That self-awareness. Man, I'm having a bad hair day today. Man, we've been standing for a long time. My feet hurt. When are we sitting down? All that takes away from your awareness of what God is doing in the room. He's always at work. He's always at work. And if you look at verse 20 in 2 Samuel 6, Michael came at David with how he looked before the people. She was embarrassed that her husband was out there dancing in his fruit of the looms. Linen ephod. She was embarrassed. 
David didn't care about how he looked before the people. He cared about how he looked before God. And because that was the concern of Michael, then we can stand on the fact that that concern of how she looked in front of people, that was a deep-rooted concern in her. The Bible says, uh, out of an abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Right? And the Bible says that because of that heart attitude towards worshiping God, out of that heart attitude... She remained childless for the rest of her days. I believe we can glean from that. When we live a lifestyle of worship, God brings us to a place where we're bearing good fruit. Bearing good fruit in our lives, a life of multiplication, where God wants to use you to bring about good things. Like I said, to change the temperature of the room you're in. But she lived a fruitless life for the rest of her days without any fruit, without any multiplication. It's a very interesting study into two different kinds of people, those who are not at all preoccupied with dignity, with self-awareness and pride in God's presence, and then those that are hindered by that. I'm not saying, guys, that when we gather corporately that we're to let anything fly. We're not... I'm not going to come here on a Sunday morning and start dancing in my linen ephod. <laughs> Thank you. Yes. <laughs> because there's a difference between intimacy with God. There's a difference between public intimacy and intimacy that was meant for the bedroom. Amen? When I'm in my prayer closet and I'm, I'm just worshiping God, I might express myself and worship differently than when I'm up here on the platform. When I'm up here, I'm not going to do an interpretive dance for you guys in my worship for the Lord, unless God is speaking really loudly. But I don't, Lord, <laughs> yeah, that'll have to be real loud. Don't worry, guys. <laughs> but God invites us not to let anything fly. God, God invites us to come before him with a childlikeness. Childlikeness. Not childishness, but childlikeness. Matthew 18, verse 3, God calls us to come to him as his children. That's what we are. That's what we talked about last week. And it's that position of dependency on God as a child. God responds and says, son or daughter, I'm here. I'm here. I love it when my kids, my wife and I, we have four kids, nine, six, three, and two, and I love it when my two-year-old comes up to me and just puts his arms up and just says, he's not saying a word. He's just saying, daddy, hold me. Daddy, I need you for something. You know, but that's the position God wants us to come to him with. Daddy, I need you. But pride is the thing that will keep you from doing that. I've heard another pastor say, if you don't think you have anything to work on, pride's a good place to start. <laughs> pride says, I've got this. Humility says, Lord, I need you. Pride says, I can do this. Humility says, Lord, I can't do this, but I know you can. Pride says, I'm good. Humility says, I'm no good without you, God, and I need more of you in every part of my life. That's an attitude 
of being that undignified worshiper. Lord, I would be more undignified than this. Whatever you say, I'll do it. And so it's important that we latch on to that, you guys, because when we gather together corporately, when we clap our hands, uh, a worship leader might encourage you to lift up a shout of praise, maybe to lift your hands in worship. Those are all biblical expressions of worship. It's biblical. It's in the Bible. Those aren't uh, just things we're doing up here on a platform to help stir up an emotion. We're not performing. I'm not a performer. I, the thought of performing kind of terrifies me. I hate karaoke, but I can worship. I'll worship all day, as long as my fingers and voice hold out. <laughs> my heart is a worship leader. I would hope all of you guys, um, you know, if you see me up there on a Sunday morning up here on a Wednesday night, my heart is you would walk out of those doors. If you would say anything about me, it would not be, man, that guy could sing a little bit or he could play the guitar a little bit. My heart is that you would say, that guy really looked like he was worshiping God, genuinely. That's my heart. Because the truth is, we all have a reason to celebrate. If you've been saved and set free by the blood of Jesus Christ, you have a reason to rejoice tonight. A reason to sing. You guys ever notice, um, you guys that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you ever notice a lot of times a new Christian, somebody that's just come to the Lord, a lot of times they're just abandoned in worship. They'll let it go. Hands up, jumping around, dancing around. You know, as people that have been walking with the Lord for a long time, you should look at that and say, hey, this new Christian is not going to outpraise me. I'm going after it. I just want to share with you guys a few scriptural references, just so you know, shouting, clapping, lifting your hands and thanksgiving, these are all biblical expressions of praise. And it's important to, to know these. It, it was pretty revelatory for me. Uh, you know, I was wondering the same thing. Why do we lift our hands? Is that in the Bible? Why, do we, why did that worship leader say, let's lift up a shout of praise? I wanted to know why, so I dug in. I did some studying. These are just a few references. Psalm 47.1, shouting and clapping unto the Lord. Psalm 22, verse 25, praising him aloud with the congregation. Psalm 100, rejoicing and expressing thanksgiving. Being silent before the Lord. Psalm 46.10 and Habakkuk 2.20. Kneeling. Philippians 2, 9 and 10. Bowed heads, Micah 6, verses 6 and 8. Raised heads, Psalm 3. Lifted hands, Lamentations chapter 3. Here's a good one. Dancing with joy before the Lord, Psalm 30. Dancing before the Lord with joy. And those are not all the references. The Hebrew language, it's a beautiful language. We have one word for praise in English, right? One word. In Hebrew, they have 11, and seven of those are the dominant ones we see in Scripture. Seven different words for praise, and each one of those carry a little bit different meaning. Again, this was revelatory to me. I love studying this stuff. So I want to share them with you guys. The first one is todah. Everybody say todah. Todah. That's Thanksgiving, a choir of worshipers, a thank offering. So when you see that choir... You see on Sunday morning, that's biblical, that's scriptural. 
That's lifting up Toda praise. Barak, everybody say Barak. To bless, to kneel, to adore in thanksgiving. Tehillah. Everybody say Tehillah. Na 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 na. No, that's okay. <laughs> Tehillah. That's enthusiastic praise, adoration, glory, fame. That's public praise. Back in those days before they had mics, you'd have a traveling minstrel. You'd have a minstrel that would walk through the streets and publicly praise God. Tehillah praise. That was a way he could get out and publicly boast on his God. Praise. Halal. Everybody say halal. This is my favorite one. Halal. To give thanks by being clamorously foolish. To boast. To celebrate. Halal is where we get the word hallelujah from. When was the last time you were clamorously foolish in the Lord's presence? Yada. Everybody say yada. To give thanks with extended hands. Zamar. Everybody say zamar. To give thanks with a musical instrument. Just like Pastor Ken did just now on that keyboard. Shabak. Everybody say shabak. To give thanks in a loud tone, sometimes translated as a shout. That's why we might sometimes lift up a shout of praise. We're lifting up Shabbat praise to God. And the interesting thing about this, this word carries implications of soothing or stilling someone. An example of this would be to pass on Shabbat praise from one person to another or from generation to generation to keep the ministry and the testimony of Christ fresh and on the forefront of your thoughts. To pass on that Shabbat praise to the next generation of, of worshipers. I don't know about you guys, but I love diving into that, that there are those seven different meanings in Scripture. A really cool study. I encourage you guys, get out of concordance, get out your Bible, turn to the book of Psalms, and go through it, and every time you see the word praise, underline it, and look up which word for praise it is. It's an amazing study. You get to see just how colorful the language is that was used in the book of Psalms. You know, something's off, you guys, when we get more excited about a Tigers game or the Super Bowl or the season finale of The Voice than about somebody who's been saved and set free and by the living presence of God Almighty in the room. This is not under condemnation, but I really felt led to say, you know, reverence and silence are not synonymous. There is a time to be silent before the Lord, Scripture's clear, but there's also a time to lift up a shout of praise. To let others see you abandoning yourself in worship to God. It's been said a person of praise is a walking altar call. When somebody sees you going through some tough stuff, but you're going through it with joy and with peace and they come up to you and say, what are you singing about? And that's your moment. It's because God's with me and he's carrying me through this right now. Your salvation is not dependent on whether or not you're expressing yourself in worship, you guys. But I, I firmly believe that you will not grow any farther in the Lord 
than the amount you're willing to just humble yourself and worship. Mark Batterson says, it's much easier to act like a Christian than to react like one. It's much easier to act like a Christian than to react like one. And really, all we're doing when we live a lifestyle of worship is we are reacting to what Christ has already done for us on the cross, right? And so I got to bust through this next part. (laughs) What happens when we worship? What happens when we worship? I'm going to go through five things. Next week, I want to touch on five things that what happens when we praise, praise and worship. If you strip down those definitions, worship is honoring God. Praise is giving thanks to God. So praise is worship. But there's five really cool things when we adopt an attitude of praise. Tonight, I want to talk about five things that happen in the spiritual realm, things that are going on in our spirit when we're living a lifestyle of worship. The thing about singing and music, God has designed singing. It's a powerful tool God uses because it involves our triune being. Right? We're spirit, soul, and body. Soul being our mind, will, and emotions. When we're singing, we're engaging our spirit. We're engaging our soul, and we're engaging our bodies in worship. Every part of who we are. It's a powerful thing when we live a lifestyle of worship. Five things happen. First, we delight in God. We delight in God. Psalm 84, how lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of heaven's armies. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. My whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. A single day in your courts is better than a thousand anywhere else. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than to live the good life in the homes of the wicked. We delight in God. Being in God's presence There's nothing like it. I would rather be a gatekeeper in the house of my God than to live anywhere else. Amen. Second thing, God delights in us. God delights in us. There's a couple scriptures here. I want to read this one to you because this is one of my favorites, you guys. Zephaniah 3.17. For the Lord your God is living among you. He is a mighty Savior. He will take delight in you with gladness. With his love, he will calm all your fears. He will rejoice over you with joyful songs. God is singing over you. God is singing over you. The God that sang before there was even sound. That's a mind bomb right there. (laughs) The third thing, God draws near to us. James 4, 8, come close to God and God will come close to you. Psalm 22, 3, yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. That word enthroned there literally means to marry. So as we're praising God, as we're worshiping him, we're living that lifestyle of worship, God comes and marries us there. That's the level of intimacy and closeness God used to describe that relationship that we're literally creating that throne for him to come and meet us. (laughs) 
Second Chronicles 5, the trumpeters, the singers, trumpeters and singers perform together in unison to praise and give thanks to the Lord. Accompanied by trumpets, cymbals, and other instruments, they raise their voices and praise the Lord with these words, he is good, his faithful love endures forever. At that moment, a thick cloud filled the temple of the Lord. The priests could not continue their service because of the cloud, for the glorious presence of the Lord filled the temple of God. That's my prayer that one day I would be maybe up here worshiping, uh, maybe holding the guitar, just abandoning worshiping. God's presence would fall so thick and so tangible. Nobody can continue to do their job because we're all on the floor. Amen. Wouldn't that be amazing? Yeah. The fourth thing, God ministers to us, Hebrews 4.16. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God. There we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. When we worship, he comes and he meets us, and it's only him and his presence that can affect a situation and a circumstance that is bigger and that is beyond what you know how to handle. God knows. God knows. And the fifth thing, the Lord's enemies flee. Second Chronicles chapter 20, after consulting the people, the king appointed singers to walk ahead of the army, singing to the Lord and praising him for his holy splendor. This is what they sang. Give thanks to the Lord. His faithful love endures forever. At the very moment they began to sing and give praise, the Lord caused the armies of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir to start fighting among themselves. The Lord does battle for you. We sing the song, he's a good, good father. And a good, good father takes care of his kids. Isn't that a comforting thought, you guys? To know that God is going to bat for you. But he's a gentleman. All he's waiting for is for you to invite him. God's a gentleman. He wants the invitation. In the presence of light, darkness cannot exist. And so no matter what your situation, no matter what your circumstance, God's saying, just come to me, my child, and I'll carry you through it. God's calling us to live that lifestyle of worship. I can remember... When I was in the process of giving, getting my life right with God again, uh, my wife and I, we started coming to church. We both responded to an altar call right here in this church that Pastor Dwayne gave. And I was in the process of getting my life right. I auditioned to play percussion on the worship band, but I still had some stuff I needed to sort out in my life. And Pastor Ken called that out. He said, hey, man, you got to get this stuff sorted out. And I remember going home that day feeling defeated. All I knew to do was just get along with God. I remember Alicia wasn't home. I just cracked open my Bible and I just spent some quiet time. And God spoke to me audibly. It's one of the few times he's spoken to me audibly. Just as clear as if he was sitting Right next to me in the room, he said, this is what I have for you, son, but you got to put me first. But you got to put me first. 
And that was a turning point in my life. That was a catalyst moment in my life. God has good things for each and every one of you guys in here tonight. You could be in here, you're saying, I'm struggling, I'm going through it. Or you could be in here and you're saying, life is good. Either way, God's saying, stay close to me. Stay close to me. Worship, all, all it really is, living a lifestyle of worship, it's lining your life up with God's word. Living an obedient life to God's word. You know, I think it's a huge lie from the enemy, especially with the millennial generation, that the Bible is a set of rules that you got to follow. The Bible is God's word living and active for us to live by because it's God's best life for us. It's not a bunch of rules. It's God's best life. It's the best life you can possibly live. And so really just living a lifestyle of worship is coming to God on a daily basis saying, Lord, help me to get those things out of my life that are getting in the way of you because I want my life to line up with your word and I want to live a life in submission to the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. Amen? Can we all bow our heads? Can we all bow our heads tonight? Close our eyes. With every head bowed, every eye closed, I just want to ask you guys, and it's not that there's anything special about this room, but when we take moments like this, these are moments that we can remember. These are moments we can remember as turning points in our lives where God puts his finger on something, an area of our life. And so I just want to ask with every head bowed, every eye closed, I want to ask you guys, this isn't unto condemnation, but if there is an area of your life right now that God is putting his finger on, it's an area of life, your life you know God's really been convicting you. God's been speaking to you on it. It's an area of your life that needs to change, an area of your life that you just need to surrender, whether it be a relationship, your job. Maybe something financial, a bill, an account. A relationship with a spouse or a child or a family member. An area of your life where you feel like you keep circling the same mountain. I just want to take a moment. If that's you in this place tonight and God is putting his finger on one of those areas, I just, with every head bowed, every eye closed, nobody looking around, I just want to ask you to lift your hand. I just want you to thank you. Thank you, guys. Thanks for stepping out. Thank you. you go ahead and put your hands down. I want to pray with you guys tonight. If we could, let's all repeat this together with these saints that lifted their hands. Father God, right now, I give you every area of my life. Those areas I've held on to those relationships I've held on to, those struggles I've held on to, I release them right now 
in the name of Jesus and I'm not picking them up again. I'm surrendering in your presence right now, God, to the kingship and lordship of Jesus Christ. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen. If you could all just keep your head heads bowed. I want to just ask, I don't want to miss this opportunity. If you're in this room tonight and you have not yet asked Jesus into your heart, I want you to lift your hand and I want to pray with you. If you need to ask Jesus into your heart, right now is the time. All right, let's all pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you show us how to live through your word. You show us not only how to live, how to love people. Soften our hearts, Lord, for the things of you as we walk out of these doors, Father. Help us to live that lifestyle of worship. Help us not to pick up those things that we've laid down tonight. Father, help us just to surrender every area of our life to worship you with abandoned worship in our workplaces, in our schools, in our houses, that our families would see us, that we would be those walking altar calls, those people of praise that walk around unashamed to say, I have been changed and saved and set free by the blood of Jesus Christ. Help us to do that, Father. We love you and we're so grateful for that fact tonight. In Jesus' name, we all say together, amen, amen, amen. God bless you guys.